I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. South Dakota Catholic Conference represents the bishops of South Dakota on matters of public policy, providing an explanation of how church teaching applies to the issues of our day. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we try to cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. And welcome back for another episode of Faith in Politics. We are into... uh, uh, rounding out our, our first month of broadcasting on the Real Presence Radio Network, and for all of our longtime podcast listeners, uh, welcome back as well. We've just had a, uh, a slate of great guests in the last month of, as we've really increased our frequency. We're, we're weekly now instead of uh, what was more or less monthly before, and it's just been a lot of fun, and um, looking forward to our conversation today and just a, a short preview of the week ahead um, been, been East River, South Dakota, broadcasting out of Sioux Falls for the last couple of weeks. And we're going to, we're going to take a little trip West next week and be joined by Father Brian Christensen, uh, who is the rector of the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Rapid City. Talk a bit about his background as a pilot in the United States Air Force and the virtue of patriotism, which is the daughter virtue of, of piety. So we're going to talk about that next, uh, next week. This week, really excited to be talking about educating future citizens. We're going to be talking a bit about education, what it means for the church, for parents, for the state, various roles of each one of those uh, very important um, institutions, bodies. And uh, and joining me on the show today, I'm really excited to welcome uh, Mr. Matt Altoff. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Privilege to be here with you today. So before we get started, um, Matt, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you. Uh, particularly in the context of Catholic education, since that's what we'll be talking about today. I just offer, I'm a uh, uh, partially Catholic educated uh, product, Sacred Heart School in Yankton, and then went on, of course, no Catholic high school there, Yankton High School, went to Notre Dame and uh, was a science major. But shortly after graduating from Notre Dame, I participated in the Alliance for Catholic Education, which was at that time, they're now into, gosh, eight, 26. I was the fourth cohort. Um, and uh, this was a service-orientated project, so what we did is an exchange for basically being paid a, wa- a living wage. Um, you know, we had we had to manage our own household expenses, living in community. Um, there were six of us living in Brownsville, Texas, that were teaching at underserviced, under-resourced Catholic schools, and that was the vision of Father Tim Scully and a few others that were instrumental in that. In that program, took recent graduates stuck them in Catholic schools and they taught us how to, you know, the pedagogical sciences, how to be a teacher during summer school. I was the last cohort actually that got my master's degree through the University of Portland. And that was kind of the, the quid pro quo. I was, I received my education for free in exchange for doing the service work for two years. Um, and I taught in the Rio Grande Valley, very proud of my time at St. Joseph Academy and um, you know, had a, quite an incredible immersion into a cultural difference. At that time, this is obviously pre-9-11, um, 40% of my students actually lived in Matamoros, Mexico, and commuted. Really? And, um, you know, granted, they were uh, Mexican citizens, and they most of those kids had, all those kids had dual citizenship, but um, they were of means. But they, they came because the Catholic education was um, very distinguished from what their 
their parents could provide them through the public schools, obviously, in, in the case of Mexico or even in, in Brownsville. So, um, you know, the, the, the Matamoros students definitely had means. So, um, but really the immersion was extremely formative to me being the only Anglo in the classroom in almost every single class period. And I taught physics. Um, I met my, my, to be bride out of that experience, my wife, who was a classmate of mine at Notre Dame, uh, Kate, was a native of Milwaukee. And so we made the decision to move to Milwaukee, and I continued in the classroom. And at that point, I was really privileged to uh, find myself encountering a, a guy who was principal and really had a bold vision. He was the Milwaukee Choice Program had just launched, and so they resurrected a archdiocesan um, Catholic high school that had been was basically had been shuttered and a parental group largely bolstered by the phenomenon of the vouchers was able to resurrect this school from, from basically cemetery status. And in that classroom, uh, teaching multiple disciplines, I, I again was the only, or in almost every period, the only Anglo in the classroom, it was inner city African-Americans on the North side of Chicago, of Milwaukee, pardon me. Um, and teaching science. And in that situation, all of those kids were escaping a failing public school system because of parents that, you know, saw the value in a Catholic education, an alternative really to the public school situation. So um, that was my teaching career. And, and uh, then I took a hiatus into, into business for quite a while. And then uh, fast forward to uh, 13 years ago, uh, Bishop Swain took a profound leap of faith, one of his biggest uh, risks ever taken as our bishop. He hired me to serve as the director of Catholic schools, and I served in that capacity for three years, and then he asked me to serve as chancellor where I've been, and now Bishop DeGroote has retained me. And recently, through some restructuring here at the chancery, now I'm, I have responsibility for schools as well. So to just take a step back to the beginning of this uh Alliance for Catholic Education, ACE, this program. I'm, I'm familiar with it a little bit because one of my own classmates from uh, O'Gorman uh, High School uh, went and participated in the program following her time at, at Notre Dame. Um, so just a little bit of exposure to it, but is it, just for you, was there an attraction to teaching? Was it a service? What was it that just sort of provoked this desire? Oh, uh, thanks for the question. Mom and dad both um, uh, went to Catholic University, St. John's and St. Ben's in, in Collegeville, Minnesota. And um, this is, of course, Vietnam era, but they did the Peace Corps as a way of their service to, to the nation. And that always mm. inspired me. So I saw ACE as a viable option uh, for me to carry out a, a, a sense of service that I, I uh, so admired in my own mother and father. Uh, they went to Nepal I went to Brownsville. They got a better deal <laughs> as they got to live in the Himalayas. But, you know, um, that was it. And, and in, in fairness, too, I was, it was really discerning. Uh, I had been a varsity athlete at Notre Dame, so it was very difficult to discern my vocation to the priesthood, although I was actively, it was always in the back of my mind and, and such. And I saw Ace as like, this is going to be the best avenue to do that. Unfortunately, this gorgeous woman was in my life immediately upon entering into Ace. And the rest is history as we now have... Uh, six of our children are enrolled in Catholic schools with one still at home yet. So. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that didn't come out in your introduction. So I yeah. just, um, yeah. not only are you, you're doing your duty as an educator uh, on behalf of the church, but also that role as a, as a parent too. And we've got this third leg that we kind of mentioned at the beginning of the state and you're 
you're also, you, I just know you have a personal interest in, in, in governance, statesmanship, politics. So your perspective is, is really, I think, um, well-rounded and, and, and very helpful. Can you tell us maybe just a little bit about Catholic schools in South Dakota? Obviously, some direct exposure through your role now at two different times as director of Catholic schools in the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Um, any, any highlights from your, your times as director or anything to share about our schools here? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Let, let me first of all say, I, I see Catholic schools in South Dakota no different than why they were originated back in the early 1800s in the United States, and that is that there was sectarian pressure mm. to form kids in in a particular viewpoint. Now, the rigors and the challenges of a sectarian mindset of the early 1800s was radically different than it is today. Um, and, and so the Catholic schools are a refuge for those of us who profess the Catholic faith and, of course, in accepting children as gifts from our Lord and standing there at the baptism, fulfilling our, our promises that, that are made at the, at, when we ask our child to be baptized, that we you know, raise our children in accord with the faith. Um, the Catholic school is an instrument that is, is, is built to assist us in fulfilling that promise, to carrying that out. And so that, that is how, uh, you know, in the early 1800s, and this is going on, this was a Protestantism. That's mm. what sectarianism was. It was just, hey, the, the church is bad. It, you know, it's kind of a Calvinistic or a deistic sort of theology that, that was in a, embodied by all of our founders. Remember, they came yep. to the New World seeking uh, religious freedom. And, and so that was, you know, the Judeo-Christian ethos was very prominent. It just was a particular doctrinal dispute that was being manifested in. Fear of in, control from Rome. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and we can even see the vestiges of this sectarianism in uh, an amendment to our state constitution. It's called a Blaine Amendment, right. very common. Many states have them, maybe, I don't know, 19 or 20 states right. have them. And it's currently uh, being litigated. Any day now, we expect a, a decision from the high court um, telling us whether these, uh, actually, these Blaine Amendments will stand. So that's, um, I just made a note, if you saw me writing here, Matt, that I need to get one of the lawyers involved with the firm litigating that case so that our listeners can learn about Blaine Amendments. Sure. We've got one here in South Dakota, um, and I think a couple of other states within the RPR network even. So Mon Montana certainly is on the docket. Right. But, um, yeah, one of the things we've been hearing hearing recently, even with uh, the coronavirus across the country, you know, Cardinal Dolan has been a great exponent of uh, supporter of Catholic schools, um, interacting with government and so on and so forth. One of the things that he said more recently is uh, they're on tenuous footing. Um, and I think already we've even heard hundred, a hundred schools in various parts of the nation um, have closed uh, or plan to close uh, in part due to the coronavirus, maybe on tenuous footing already. And this was the, the straw that broke the proverbial camel's back. South Dakota, uh, it seems to me we're not we're not there. We've got a bit more bit more strength and vitality here, and we can be grateful for that. Any recent perspectives on Catholic education given the yeah. coronavirus? I appreciate that, and I'll kind of go back to your original question too because I derailed it a little bit. But ultimately, um, I, I see many fruits of our Catholic schools in the Diocese of Sioux Falls in my very preliminary rein, reintroduction to them, if you will, uh, since structural changes enacted here in April. Um, where the faith is alive, where the refuge from that sectarianism 
that an originator to Catholic schools and our history, great tradition in, in the United States, are alive and well here in the Diocese of Sioux Falls. So mm. made a couple of school visits. Um, and authenticity of, of the hearts of our Catholic school principals and the leadership, the administrative leadership, Catholic uh, authenticity of the Catholic embodied Catholic faith within our teachers who, of course, marshal that interface between ignorance and enlightenment. I, I see those things as the, the fundamental as to why we're not having that dire situation of, hey, we're closing because of COVID. Mm. Uh, in other words, I, I think that, you know, our Catholic schools remain very true to the mission. Are there exceptions? Absolutely. Are there, are there many uh, individuals who choose to f- send their family, their children to Catholic schools, maybe for other reasons than simply because they want them to be formed as authentic, true Catholics, mm. lifelong parishioners. Well, you know, that's true. And I'm not here to judge what parents do, but I still see in mass a lot that, that that's the motivating factor for parental decisions in, in our diocese for kids to do it. So that's why our schools remain viable is because in the most difficult times, you prioritize economic times. You prioritize, and and our parents, praise be to God, have have uh, been able to do that. I would say too. I, I want to just. This has been a, an extraordinary experience in the CARES Act, um, and particularly in the the payroll protection program. It has been one of the most expedient and impactful deliveries of government assistance. I think we'll ever see in our lifetime. It, it was mm. just extraordinary how those PPP monies were able to be delivered to Catholic schools. They were able to keep our Catholic school faculties employed. Um, paychecks kept coming despite some of our you know traditional revenue sources being hampered, inability to hold development events, parents suffering from loss of job due to yep. you know COVID job loss kind of things. And yet the PPP came in and it really sustained. So um, the wisdom of our government leadership in Washington to say, hey, it's essential that we keep people on payrolls. That's less expensive than they go off the doles onto the government unemployment rolls. Um, It really worked very beneficially to our Catholic schools. And if if you're listening in, PPP is Paycheck Protection Program, this big uh, relief uh, package passed by Congress. The intent was to keep people in work. and, and even Catholic schools, uh, Catholic organizations were able to, to retain employees. Um, so, yes, I, I agree. Very, very efficient um, and speedy relief. You know, one of the – a couple of the terms that you've used a couple of times that, that I think it's time to go back to, you've mentioned choice. You've mentioned vouchers. And for me, stepping into my role as the executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference three years ago – I felt like I had a pretty good understanding. I'd read the church documents on things like respect for life, like marriage, like religious freedom, some of the bioethical questions that are becoming um, of pressing importance, even some of the churches like metaphysics, like some of the philosophy of the human person, if you will. But I confess, uh, I had a learning curve when it, when it came to some of what the church taught on, on schools, on education, um, and it's, particularly the relationship to the government, and even just um, setting the magisterial teaching to the side for the moment, just some of these education policy terms like school choice or what's a voucher. I, I really had no idea what, you know, what a voucher was. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you just help us, uh, for maybe a listener who is a bit like me, what are these terms? Can you lay out, like, what is school choice, broadly speaking? Sure. 
Um, let me give a backdrop to that, if I could, though, briefly. The, the church speaks to this as these are mechanisms that should be explored by government. And she does that in her teachings and some of the encyclicals, primarily because, you know, church teaching so often is just an annotation of natural law, what we're born with on our hearts. Mm. Well, we all know the institution of family is the most basal level at which the formation of children is supposed to happen. And so when the church advocates for, you know, governmental assistance to, to be provided or to be, you know, a freedom for there to be alternatives for parents to be able to form their children or use schooling mechanisms to form their children, it's just that very thing. It's the fact that every family should be able to choose what's best for their children. That's why the church advocates for these. A voucher system which was trialed in Milwaukee and in Chicago, or I'm sorry, in Cleveland, and now is very prominent in Florida. And as you may have seen just recently, a headline where Governor DeSantis has expanded that. Ultimately, that is a mechanism that says that, listen, our state was going to give aid for the education of your children in a public school. But if you want to take that same child, place him or her in a non-public school, we will have that aid follow. Now, there's there's separation of church and state concerns, and as you said earlier, the Blaine Amendment, these, these are happening in states where you do not have this Blaine Amendment. But ultimately, the logic is that we keep separation of church and state um, upheld because, you know, you still are teaching some of the basic tenets of math, writing, uh, arithmetic, blah, 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 the, the basic core subjects. And that's what the voucher's paying for is the tuition towards this. And then they'll keep it in the, you know, the religion. As you and I both know as products of Catholic school, um, some of the best religion is taught at, at uh, in your case, your alma mater, O'Gorman High School. Some of the best religion is actually taught in physics class. But, you know, we don't tell necessarily yeah. the government officials that. But that, that is the logic is, well, we're not paying the tuition for the religion. We're paying the tuition for their, their core curriculum uh, kind of thing. And so... That's how it happens. Now it's needs based, and so every family that it's a, that's applying for a voucher basically is showing in these situations where they exist, they're showing that hey, um, you know, our income level we can't support, we can't pay for tuition, but what we want is what's best for our kids, like every other parent. And so on a needs basis, that state will make that judicious decision to say, hey, yeah, we will we will reallocate funds. Um, now this is highly controversial. And public schools are quick to point out that they 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 could benefit from additional funding. And when you steer funds to another school, you know they get riled about that. And and I think that's you know whether or not we adequately fund education, that's a broader level, and that's yeah. a fair discussion. But for the purposes of of a voucher, that's what's happening: is that state aid that was initially intended for um, my child to go to a public school is being re- diverted to a private school. And so a voucher is sort of one sort of policy proposal that could fit within a broader umbrella that we describe as school choice. Some people I've heard it yeah. uh, use the term parent choice or parent choice in education. Right. But here for us as Catholics, I just want to read this quotation from the Catechism, paragraph 2229, that uh, again, before I started my job, I I don't know if this was a paragraph that really had stuck in my mind if I had seen it before. Here's what it says. Parents have the right to choose a school for them which corresponds to their own personal convictions. This right is fundamental. And I think that's something that for many of us as Americans, like, yeah, of course, you should be able to send, you know, just pick your kid's school. But here the catechism goes on and says that 
Public authorities have the duty of guaranteeing this parental right and ensuring the concrete conditions for its exercise. End quote. And, and I, what that practically means is kind of what you've alluded to with just explaining what vouchers are is that it, it's a need-based thing, or at least it was in Milwaukee, as you've described it. And for the, the concrete conditions that impede some parents from making this choice that they would otherwise make are financial conditions. Um, and this is a bit, I think, difficult for us as uh, American. You know, we've got this dual citizenship as Catholics and, and also citizens of America. Um, in other countries, they don't have quite this same um, maybe adverse reaction of like, oh, how could that be? We're, we just get really accustomed to the way things are in public schools and, and the government. The government just has a monopoly on education right. in, in many respects. Um, Except for those with means that can, can, right. can send it on a tuition-based thing. If I could just interject one thing, though, it, it's essential for anybody to remember that vouchers have come to be where they have in locations where public schools were frankly failing. Yeah. You know, that, that, that is kind of a preconditioning requirement. And there are definitely, when we think about here in South Dakota, there are definitely some school districts that are really struggling to educate kids, but most of them are on reservations. Mm. And you look at that, the disproportionate amount of aid going to them and yet they're still not having good outcomes and that kind of stuff. That would be a kind of one way of defining failing. And it was the same plight in inner city Milwaukee, you know, where I happen to teach in the choice program. I do think that it, it deserves recognition here, at least here in South Dakota, that the, the, the open enrollment phenomenon does in many ways affirm what the church is saying is that now South Dakotans do have as they have the right as parents to say, no, um, this school district isn't good enough for my kids. They're not meeting the needs. I'd like to open enroll and I could take, you know, based upon my domicile mm -hmm. where I live, I can go other places. So just, you know, I think in fairness, there, there is at least a, a, a very significant measure that has been made that, that came into effect late 1990s, early 2000s, I don't remember exact date, but that, that is, I think that honors Obviously, it was not done with the intention of honoring church teaching, but it was done. It was honoring, frankly, taxpayer clamor to say we want competition. We yeah. don't want monopolistic yeah. because the competition forces our school districts to become better. And and so it was a stewardship-driven sort of mentality. But ultimately, it's net result as it does sort of honor what the catechism provides to us in, in the way of direction. Well, and even my understanding of the way I'm reading the, the church too, the magisterium is that there's there's an element of justice within it too, um, in terms of like well what is the state's what is the state's interest in education? There's not a constitutional right. It's not in it's not in our federal or it's 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 um, it is in our state constitution. It's not in the federal constitution. Um, what in our state constitution makes clear like what the interest is is to make a citizen. Um, so. That's uh, here's another. I'm going to throw this one out there from the compendium of the social doctrine of the church, and, and maybe ask for your comment. Here's what the compendium says: um, the refusal to provide public economic support to non-public schools that need assistance and that render a service to civil society is to be considered an injustice. That's kind of that rings strong on on my ears. What do you think? You know, um, I, I would first of all start with the fact that if, if you're going to be a representative democracy, you're reliant on informed voters. Mm -hmm. 
And I think ultimately, and I think the church recognizes that like there's inherent freedom and governance does require of the people, by the people, for the people, if it's to be done in a, in a, in a just and equitable way, um, in, in a, in a truthful, but, you know, representing the, the dignity of all persons being, rep- you know, being impacted by policy of government. So to me, that's what that's speaking to is this reality that, that we need to have, um, an intentional effort as as educators, an intentional effort as government, as long as she's in the business of educating, to making certain that there are no persons left on the margins mm. and that we're finding tides that lift all boats. Mm. We're finding that we're reaching out to the margins to say that all children deserve a good education. All persons that are ultimately going to grow up and become a voting member in this representative democracy as we are privileged to enjoy here in the United States, but in any case, participation in the public square, they should be informed. And that's what I see it is that, as we know, there's, there's, there's any number of learning styles that we know through pedagogical sciences that not all people learn the same way. You have to adjust that. Not all learn in the same environments the same way. Um, so there, the the differentiation is respectful of the fact that we're all made uniquely and in the image and likeness of our Lord. Um, and so I, I, that's what I see in that compendium the kind of quote that you've lifted there is really what, what we have before us is the prospect of now, how do we make diverse? We're not a sure. bunch of minions that all go through yeah. the same, you know, widget manufacturing yeah. process to get to the same result of being lifelong learners, aspirants for heaven, yeah. you know, formed as, as human beings, body, mind, and soul. What, um, maybe we can just shift gears a little bit into, we've got just a couple of minutes, minute and a half or so here remaining, just really where the rubber meets the road here in South Dakota in school choice, just to really put some policy chops on this discussion. What can you tell us? Can you maybe just give us a brief overview of South Dakota Partners in Education and, and, and what you've seen with that program in the last couple of years? I, I see, just let me speak to less the mechanics, more the fruits of it. Um, my children, as I said earlier, go to Catholic schools here in, in Sioux Falls, and they have a more diverse population of students. Um, I, it means the world to Kate and I that our kids can go along, you know, particularly given our past work and service of Catholic schools, under-resourced Catholic schools down south, um, that our kids go to school with, with new American families, parents that are migrants to this country that are, you know, are, are by their homeland standards are highly educated with engineering degrees and by American standards, they're fulfilling jobs at Smithfield, for example. Well, those Smithfield wages do not pay wages that, you know, that could support a large family sending them to their children to Catholic school. Those are who are benefiting from the partners in education uh, monies and, um, I, I just think number one, the potpourri or the you know the the hybridization of of our school populations. Well, this is how we stop Black Lives Matters needs. You know, in terms of raising racism, and this, you know, we 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 create learning environments where people that are colorblinded are are learning. Um, and I I just am so indebted to partners and all their work to to persevere in a very challenging environment. Tax dollars are limited, and and there was a concern that this would be a diversion. I think in the end, the investment by the state that takes tax credits and put them in the form of scholarships is really going to pay dividends for better citizens. Thank you, Matt Altoff, for joining me today. Thank you, Chris. It's been a privilege.
And thank you, dear listeners, for joining in once again. Uh, Again, next week, uh, Faith and Politics is going on the road. We're going to be joining Father Brian Christensen, Rector of the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, former Air Force pilot, and talk about the virtue of patriotism. Until next time, live well. Mm -hmm.